0: Well, um, as was introduced, uh, I'm Michael, and um, yeah, got to know Brandon, I think it was spring of 17, um, got to do some preaching coach for him, got connected through Scott Sterner, who's the uh, assistant director of the E-Free for kind of uh, the Force Lakes district. Um, and so it was great, and just continued to get to know him, and then Aaron actually did some uh, coaching for me on fundraising when we were trying to do church planting in Madison. So I have some sweet connections here, preacher a couple times, it's always a joy to be back here and just see... All the different faces here, right? And just know that, like, man, as I pray for Brandon and Aaron and the work they're doing and the work you guys are doing here in Dubuque, it's like there's faces now for me afresh to see, like, yeah, this is what God's doing. It's you, right? Um, and so just really encouraged to be here this morning. Uh, I work uh, four days a week actually at the state capitol in Wisconsin as a legislative assistant and then do a little side ministry called Word Training, um, which exists to equip every believer to study, do, and teach God's Word. And so if you're interested, I've got some resources on wordtraining.org. But I love being in God's Word with people. And I was really excited when Brandon said, hey, do you want to come preach this summer? We're doing this series, Jesus on Every Page. This idea of learning to read the Old Testament the way that Jesus taught his disciples to read it, right? That really, there is one author over the all of Scripture, that's God. And there's one story. It's the story of God redeeming a people for himself, a people that wanted to reject him. And there's one hero in this story, and it's not me and it's not you. Thankfully, it's Jesus, right? And we start to see how all of the Bible, even the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, points us to that one hero and it's part of this one story. And all of a sudden, some of the things that might seem strange or distant to us because it was a long time ago, Suddenly, when you see how it connects to Jesus, it connects to our lives in such a beautiful and powerful way. And so that's why I love preaching the Old Testament. And this morning, we're going to look at Ezekiel 34, if you want to turn there. And Ezekiel is just a prophet that I've been in for a bit. Um, And so this was just a personal choice. I was like, I was really enjoying this chapter. And it really hits on a theme that, unfortunately, because we live in a broken world, we have to deal with, and that is bad leadership. Right? We've probably all experienced that, and I just want to be clear, I'm not preaching that because I know anything bad happening here, but this is something right, that we experience. Maybe you grew up in a family, unfortunately, where your parents weren't a model of love and compassion and care. Maybe you're in a work situation right now where you have a boss who, frankly, is abusive. Maybe there's other friends or people in your life that have influence in your life that Um, Instead of using that influence and leadership for good, are using it for harm? Maybe, I'm guessing in a room this size, some of you have had experiences where you've even been harmed by people that were called to shepherd the the flock. And and I just love what you said earlier, John, right, about leaders are called to show the compassionate leadership of Jesus. And yet sometimes we run into leaders who claim to be doing that but do the exact opposite, and we get hurt. What is God doing in the midst of that? Well, that's not a new question. The the people of Judah were wrestling with that. The set the context here is Ezekiel and many other people from Jerusalem in the Judean region, the south part of Israel, were taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar around 597 BC. And they are not home. They are in exile. They are far from home. Wondering what is God up to? Under the rule of an evil king. Meanwhile, back home, the, the leaders of, of Judah are, are just making a mess of it. The, the kings have literally set up altars to other gods in the temple courtyard. They are abusing the poor and they're not teaching the people to follow God at all. And yet, they have the audacity to be like, well, God really favors us because we are still in Jerusalem and you guys back in exile, you guys are clearly the ones God's judging. And so you can imagine these people, they're just wrestling with us. Like, what, What's going on here, God? This is so confusing. And then what's even crazier is in chapter 33, a man comes from Jerusalem and says the absolutely unthinkable, the temple has been destroyed. And it's hard for us to grab Grass our minds about that? Because, like, if this building got destroyed, we'd just rent a, a different building, right? But it'd be kind of like maybe the similar would be like if the White House got destroyed, right? Like, if you woke up and it was like the White House was blown to bits, it's like, well, that's the symbol of like our democracy, and it was just destroyed. And for people in the ancient Near Eastern context, if your God's temple was destroyed, that's because your God was defeated. So, that's a very confusing thing. What, what, what does this mean, God? And yet God is going to say, actually, I haven't been defeated. This is part of my plan to deal with the bad leaders on the way to, to rescue from my people. That I will bring judgment as the good shepherd in order to then rescue my sheep. That's God's answer to bad leaders is judgment that leads to salvation. Because he will be the good shepherd we need. And so let me read Ezekiel 34 with that context in mind. And as we do, I just want to make one note. Um, In the NIV, uh, we always see Lord in capital letters. That's God's personal name, Yahweh. And then you'll see that they translate sovereign Lord, because the word in Hebrew is Lord, but it would be weird to say Lord, Lord, so they switch it to sovereign. But I really want us to hear how personal God is in this. And then how often his title, Lord, comes out. So I'm actually going to read Lord Yahweh instead of Sovereign Lord." So you can, you can feel the weight of that personal name, but also the, where he brings that title to bear as we, as we read this. So just listen to Ezekiel 34. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what Lord Yahweh says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As surely as I live, declares Lord Yahweh, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. This is what Lord Yahweh says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what Lord Yahweh says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture in the mountains of Israel." I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares Lord Yahweh. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what Lord Yahweh says. I will judge between one sheep and another, and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what Lord Yahweh says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, Yahweh, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them in the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing." The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am Yahweh when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I'll provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations." Then they will know that I, Yahweh, their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares Lord Yahweh. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares Lord Yahweh. Let me pray. Father, your word is just rich. And so I pray that you would give us, as we sang earlier, just humble ears to hear And I pray that you would help me to speak only your words. And I pray, Father, that for those who need to be admonished this morning, they would be admonished, and those who need to be encouraged this morning would be encouraged so that all of us would grow in being more like Jesus, being more in love with him, being more like him. pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this, this long passage breaks down really into kind of two parts. He talks first to the, the shepherds of Israel. That's verses 1 to 16. And then in verse 17, he turns and talks to the flock as a whole. So we're going to look at those two kind of sections and then the solution at the end. And so you know, it begins with this prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Now, who are these shepherds of Israel? Well, they are the, the king of Israel. There would be the nobles under him. It would be the Levites and priests, those who are tasked with leading the people in justice, in righteousness, and in loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's who he's writing to. And we see here in verse 2 that he's prophesying against the shepherds. Now, sometimes when we think of prophets, we tend to think primarily about the future, right? When we hear prophecy, we often think future. But actually, the majority of what the prophets do is they look backwards. The prophets are like covenant enforcers, They kind of look back to the initial covenant relationship God made with his people, and they say, these are the rules that we agreed to, this is how you're currently living, and they're like the referees of the game, okay? So if they see something bad happening, they yank out their yellow card, or they throw the flag, or blow the whistle, whatever sport you want to connect with, okay? They are the referee being like, foul, 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 okay? And they're calling them back because they know what happens, when you walk in direct disobedience to God over a prolonged period of time, it's not going to go well for you. He warned them over and over again, if you continue to disobey me, Israel, I will eventually have to kick you out of the land. Right? And they, they thought, well, he'll never do that. Well, he did. Right? And so here he is, this prophet Ezekiel, prophesying against the shepherds, speaking against them, calling them out for what they've done wrong. And he, as a prophet, the reason why he can call foul is that he has been hired, so to speak, by Lord Yahweh to do this. This is where it's important to see two things, right? He is Lord. He's the one in charge, not the shepherds of Israel. At best, they are under shepherds, okay? They They are underneath his absolute authority and control. God is the Lord. He's the one actually in charge, and that's why he gets to send someone to say, go tell them, They're messing up, and I'm going to be coming because he's actually in charge. But then notice too, he uses his name over and over again—Yahweh, his personal name. He's saying, "Don't you remember the relationship I have with you? Don't you remember when I rescued you from Egypt? You were in slavery; you were nobodies, and I rescued you. I made you my people. I brought you to a beautiful land. And so listen to me. And so." Ezekiel comes charged with this authority from Lord Yahweh to speak to the leaders and what's his main charge? He says it in verse two, you take care of yourselves instead of the flock. That's, that's the basic charge. The leaders of Israel are taking care of themselves instead of the flock. And he unpacks these images, right? Like you're eating the curds, you're clothing yourselves with the wool you get from the sheep, you're slaughtering the choice animals. Now, all of those things aren't inherently bad. Like, if you're a shepherd, you get your living from taking care of your sheep. You, you, you drink the milk that comes from you, make the curds, you, you take the wool to make clothes, right? That's not a problem. The problem is they're doing all that, but they do not take care of the flock. So they're basically fleecing them, right? That's where the expression fleecing comes from. They're taking everything they can get from the flock and giving nothing back. They're taking all the advantages of leadership with none of the responsibility, that's what they're doing. And not only that, but, but God's saying, but don't you see, like, they're weak and they're sick. And your job was supposed to heal them. It wasn't just to do bare responsibility. Your job was to show my heart of compassion because God's the good shepherd. He's saying, you should have been binding up those who are hurting, seeking out the lost. That's your job description, leaders, to seek out the lost, to bind up the hurting, to bring back the stray. But instead... Not only were they out for selfish gain, but these leaders, verse 4, ruled them harshly and brutally. And those two words are the exact words used to describe how the Israelites were treated in Egypt. Do you see what God's saying? He's saying, you guys, leaders of Israel at this time, are no better than the slave masters of Egypt. You want to talk about some strong words, right? You're treating them just like that. You're not only taking advantage of them for selfish gain, but you're brutally treating them. I mean, it'd be one thing if you're just taking from them. It's another that you're not even helping them, and then it's another whole level to harm them. That's bad leadership. Out for selfish gain, out to harm instead of heal. And the reason why this is so deadly is that Harmful leadership always hurts people. You see in verse six, the, the sheep are left to wander over all the mountains on every high hill. They're, they're scattered over the earth, and there's no one to look for them. This is the unfortunate thing, is that leaders have influence, and that influence means there's consequences when a leadership goes bad. A lot of people can get harmed. And that's why God takes it so seriously, because he's like, those weren't your sheep. Those are my sheep. And so he says in verses 7 through 10, like, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to remove you guys, and I'm going to come in and do the job. Look at verse 10. He says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock, says God. These are my sheep. They weren't yours to do with whatever you wanted. They were my sheep. You are just a steward. And so I'm going to remove you so that you can no longer... Take selfish gain from them. Feed yourselves. I'm going to rescue my flock from their mouths. Now it's almost a picture of the leaders are the predators, like wolves eating the sheep. He's like, no, no, I'm going to remove you so you can't eat my sheep anymore. God is not, I want you to hear this, friends. God is not blind to bad leadership. God will deal with it in his time. As he cares for his flock because they're his. But even better news than just bringing judgment and bad leaders, look at what he says in verse 11. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. He doesn't just promise removal of bad leaders. He gives us what our hearts need and long for. He says, I will be the shepherd your heart really desires. And he does everything that the shepherds were supposed to do, right? He goes to search for the lost. He brings back the strays. He binds up the injured. He strengthens the weak. And he gathers them in from the nations. Verse 13. He, he brings them to good pasture in verses 13 and 14. He's gonna do everything that we need. He will be the good shepherd we long for. Now, can you imagine the people of Israel in Babylon? under a wicked king, thinking they've been abandoned, hearing these words. Oh, he hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't been turning a blind eye. And the fall of Jerusalem wasn't because he lost, it was his judgment on them. And that means if he was faithful to judge, then when he says he will be faithful to come and rescue us, we can bank on that promise. We can look forward to that day when he will come and be our shepherd. And so even though it looked grim at the time for them, even though the circumstances looked bleak, even though all the physical eyesight evidence around them said, God is nowhere to be seen, they had a promise now to all cling to by faith. That God would not just judge the bad shepherds, but would come and be their good shepherd. And at the end of this section, he says in verse 16, not only will he search for the lost and bind up, but he says, the sleek and the strong I will destroy. For I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then he turns now to the second part, not just dealing with bad leaders, but dealing with bad sheep. Because here's the thing, leaders create culture. And I'm sure you've maybe experienced it, maybe you haven't, hopefully you haven't, but if you've experienced maybe in a workplace, it would be a good example. When you have a bad boss, you generally get a really bad work environment right? If you have a a boss who misuses his power, then the next rank down who's in charge, they tend to misuse their power and the people below them, and you create this culture, right? Abusive leadership always ends up leading to other than people joining in on that party, and that's what God warns here. He says, I will judge between one sheep and another, verse 17, because he's saying some of you, you're getting a chance to drink the water and eat the pasture, but then you trample it all down with your feet, You're doing just like the leaders. You're taking for selfish gain and robbing your weaker brothers and sisters. Or he says in verse 21, you're you're shoving with the flank and shoulder. Right? You can picture all these lambs coming to a watering hole and the biggest and strong ones get there first and drink and the the weaker ones are trying to get in because they're thirsty, they're tired from the walk and instead they're like butting them out and then after they drink from it, you know, the weak sheep are like, oh, finally, it'll be our turn. Instead, you can picture these strong sheep just looking at them being, check this out. And they just trample all over the water, right? Yeah. See? What up? Right? And then, and then they wander off. And the weak sheep are like, well, I mean, I, I'm so desperate for water. I guess I'll drink the muddy water. I got nothing else to do, right? Well, where did these sheep learn that behavior? They saw it from the shepherds who were fleecing them. And they joined the party. And God is saying, no, I'm going to judge that as well. That not only will I judge bad leaders, but I will judge the sheep that are harming other sheep. In fact, in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the judgment towards the last days, he talks about he'll know who are his sheep because what? They loved the other sheep. They saw Jesus in the other sheep and they brought them drink and food, right? Where does Jesus get that from? I think it's from Ezekiel 34, right here. But again, it's not just judgment. But what he does is he says, I myself will come again and be the shepherd. But this time, notice in verse 23, he says that he will place a shepherd over them, David. Well, wait a minute. I thought Yahweh was going to be the shepherd. So is David the shepherd or is Yahweh the shepherd? Yes, there's this hint here that like, well, this David guy is going to be doing everything that Yahweh said he himself would do. So it's almost like this David guy who's coming is Yahweh, is God? Yes. Here's a hint of what we would see in the New Testament with the early church would pick on They'd read and go, there, there he is, there he is right there, see? The one like David, the son of David who is going to come and be the perfect prince, but he's not just David, he's more than David. David was just a man. No, he's the Lord. He's Yahweh himself in the flesh. And what will this great David do? Verse 25, he will make a covenant of peace with them. Because it's not just about justice and judgment. That would leave a barren wasteland. God always judges so that he can bring peace and salvation and rescue. And so he says that, he will bring them out of the land and they'll be able to even sleep in the wilderness. The wilderness is where sheep normally don't sleep. That's where all the wild animals are. And he's like, but because I'm such a good shepherd, you could sleep in the scariest, hardest, worst places and you'll be safe because I'm with you. I'll bring you back to the land eventually, but on the way, you can sleep in every spot of the wilderness and you will be safe. But the goal is to bring them home. Look at verses 26 and following. This land is described as having showers in season. The trees will yield their fruits. There's going to be no famine, right? I mean, he's describing Eden. He's describing a new perfect home where there's nothing to fear. No enemies, fruitful abundance. Again, can you imagine hearing these words in Babylon in exile? That's what he's going to do for us. He's actually going to bring us home. And then in verse 30, they will know that I, Lord Yahweh, am with them, and they are my people. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God. The goal here isn't just to bring him back home, but to bring him back to relationship with God. That's what he's promised to do. Now, I said earlier that prophets look backwards, but they do look forward too. So as we turn now to think about the solution, we have to look forward. And when you, and when you think about the prophets and looking forward, there's a really kind of simple thing is they're looking at a mountain range. They can't differentiate all the peaks. And so I found a really simple rule for reading prophets is ask, what was fulfilled in the return from exile? What was, then retur- what was fulfilled in Jesus' first coming? And what's still to be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming? So if, so if you look at this, you can see, well, on one hand, this was fulfilled when they were... Return from exile. When Cyrus, the Persian king, wipes out the Babylonians and comes to power, he sends them back home. There it is. They've been rescued from the nations. They're back home, right? Well, kind of. You know, they're under Persian rule. Not all the tribes are back home, and then they're under Greek rule, and then they're under Roman rule. It's not their home, but it's not like this. It's not described like this, right? There's a partial fulfillment here, they weren't left in exile, but man, they're just they're longing for more, right? And what do you know? Around the time period of Jesus, the religious leaders are still up to the same tricks. Jesus describes them as putting burdens on people and not giving not even helping to lift it a little bit. He talks about the religious leaders would devour widows' houses out of their greed and wealth. It's the same old story. And then breaking onto the scene, a man walks into the temple where all the religious leaders are and he flips over tables and he casts out the money changers who are making money off his people and he goes, how dare you turn worship into a money-making exercise? You're doing the same thing they did back then, abusing the people, ripping them off, and I want them to be worshipers of God. And he tells them straight up, I'm going to destroy this temple. I'm going to judge it again. And then I'm going to raise it up in three days. And they don't get what he's talking about. And then he dares to heal people and heal them on the Sabbath. Because they had taken God's law and expanded all kinds of extra rules. And then, when a guy who is blind from birth has the ability to see, which is an amazing miracle, all the religious leaders can see is, yeah, but you did it on the Sabbath. Gosh, man, what a rule breaker. He's messing up our power and authority here. And Jesus like, don't you get it? This guy was a wounded sheep and I just healed him and all you care about is some dumb rule you made up? And so he, right after that healing, he's talking to the crowd right after that happens. He goes, everyone who came before me was a thief and a robber and I am the good shepherd. And you want to know what the religious leaders were probably thinking? Oh, crap, he just called us thieves and robbers. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, if they know their Old Testament, which the the religious leaders did, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've come to town now. There's a new sheriff in town, and you guys are getting the boot because you guys have really screwed up, but I've come to rescue my sheep. And you guys thought you just need to be rescued from your political enemies, but man, your enemies are so much bigger than that. You're enslaved to your own sin, your own rebellion. You're enslaved to death. You have no way to defeat death. There's a spiritual enemy who torments you and you got nothing on him. And so Jesus says, "I'll rescue you." And you know what I'm going to do it. I'm going to pay the ultimate price. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't fleece the sheep. He lays down his life for them. So he dies, crucified between two thieves and robbers. Why? Because he loves the sheep. He shares the father's heart for the sheep. He sees that they're lost without a shepherd. And he says, I will buy them back from slavery. I will buy them back from the enemy who has captured them. I will buy them back from death with my life. And when he rose again victorious in the grave, all those enemies defeated, man, he proved it. He is the good shepherd. He's defeated them all. Now he is our good shepherd and he is leading the way home. And we're still on the way home, right? It's not all fulfilled. There's still something to come. We still want to get to that spot where we are in the land and the land is perfect. We still want to be that spot where we see him face to face and we know that we are his and he is ours. And what do you know, there just happens to be a spot in the Bible that points us to that direction. Revelation 7, John, disciple of Jesus, is seeing this great crowd around the throne and he asks who they are and an angel tells them in verse 14, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, who have come out of the suffering They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've trusted in Jesus' sacrifice. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And aren't you looking forward to that day? Aren't you looking forward to that day when all the evil is judged and the good shepherd finally brings us home? And because we saw his promise fulfilled in sending us to die for us, we can trust him with the future promise. And so this morning, if you are here and you feel like you've been through some really hard things, you've experienced bad leaders in whatever circumstance in your life, God wants you to know he sees that, he will deal with it. You are not alone. He loved you so much, he's willing to die for you to rescue you, and he will one day bring you home. Keep trusting him. Keep walking by faith. He counts every one of your tears. That's how much he cares. And I do want to give a word to those who are leaders here. I don't think you guys are doing this, but, and even just parents who are leaders in the home, sin is so deceitful. We have this expression right in culture that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Whenever you are in a position of leadership, whether in your home as a parent, whether a small group leader, or an elder in the church, if you're a boss at work, God has given you that leadership as a steward. The people that work for you, the people that you're overseeing are not yours. They belong to him. He made them. He died for them. He will ask you to give an account for how you have loved them and shepherded them. And so keep pressing into Jesus as your good shepherd and learn from him. And when you fall short, just repent. Come back to him. He died even for your failures as a leader. But don't use your leadership for selfish gain or to harm. And also, I just want to give a word to those who maybe aren't leaders, but are sometimes tempted to ride the coattails of bad leaders. God has called you to love those around you who are weaker. God has called you the way He loved you when you were weak and powerless to image Him. That way. You might not be a leader, but every one of us can love the weaker ones around us. The good news is that no matter how well or poorly we do that, the Good Shepherd always invites us to come back to Him, to find forgiveness, to find fresh encouragement to keep living for Him, to come in with our doubts when we're feeling like, where is He? Because Jesus is the perfect Good Shepherd. And he will rescue his sheep and judge bad leaders. That's the good news we have this morning. And so in a little bit, we're going to take communion. And when we take communion, we remember that one day that good shepherd's going to come back, and he's described that return as a wedding feast. Now, I don't know about you, but every time you go to a wedding, right, there's always that awkward couple of hours where you're stalling before the dinner and you're hungry. And so they hand out appetizers, right, to kind of tide you over. That's what communion is, friends. It's an appetizer. Every week, you eat a little bit to remember that one day you will feast with the king. As your heart yearns for that day when he returns, you remember he's coming. He's promised he's coming back. I'm reminding myself afresh this morning. And as we take from the bread, which Corinthians talks about how we eat from one bread, we're saying one body, we remember that we are all one flock with one shepherd Leaders, you remember that you too are first and foremost a sheep before you're a shepherd. That you too need the good news of the shepherd in your heart and life. And then as we dip that bread in the juice, we remember that blood was poured out to cover all of our failures. Because on the way home, we stumble and trip our way through, but the good shepherd is with us every step of the way, forgiving us. And so it's it's just a little bit of bread, It's just a cup with some juice in it. There's nothing magical about these things. They're just symbols. They're meant to remind us of these truths. And so if you're someone who has trusted in Jesus as your good shepherd to rescue you from your own sin, to, to be the one who leads you, we just invite you later as the band comes up to sing and worship to go to the back. You can grab a little bit of bread, dip it in the cup, eat, and remember, we're on our way home. We're on our way home. We have a good shepherd with us. If you're someone this morning who has not yet trusted in Jesus as their good shepherd, we ask that instead of just taking the symbol that points to him, instead take this time to reflect on what you've heard this morning. Consider, do you want to trust a good shepherd who's willing to lay down his life to rescue you? Take the time to reflect on what the symbols point to and even trust in him for the first time this morning. And we're so glad you're here and anyone here would be glad to talk to you about what that means afterwards and um, just encourage you in that. And so I'm going to pray for us. The team will come up and sing. And then again, just as the songs play, remember, remember the good shepherd, what he did for you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you are the good shepherd. Jesus, you are God in the flesh who so loved us that you came to die for us, to lay down enough to rescue us. And so I pray every person would trust in you And that that trust would overflow in the lives of love for one another. And I pray especially for those you've called to be leaders in this church body, Father. Thank you for them. Thank you for their hearts to serve you and love people. Would you continue to press them into that? Would they never drift away from that and fall into uh, the kind of behavior we read about Ezekiel 34? May they be good shepherds, images of you. Pray this in your name. Amen.